The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. My mom's immediate reaction is, oh, I don't remember this. I didn't know this was in here. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Recotopia. A happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantees implied. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. Every secret has a unique weight to it and you can only carry them for so long. Hello, everybody. It's episode 84 of Recotopia. This week's big recommend is Derek Delgadio's In and of Itself. I'm Jeremy Scott. And I'm Dicer. And we'd like to say a special welcome to our live listeners and viewers in the chat and those who are watching but not chatting. I believe that's called lurking. Um... (laughs) Before we get to the big recommend this week, we like to do a couple small recommends every week. Aaron, did you arm yourself with any small recommends for this episode? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. I do, and you might want to uh, to check Hades to see how the temperature's dropping because I'm about to recommend a horror movie. Um, so, uh, yeah, I saw Talk To Me, um, this last week and it's been out for a while and there's been a lot of buzz about this uh i have heard people who loved it i have heard people who hated it so i wanted to see for myself and this is a really good movie structurally it reminds me a little bit uh especially metaphorically of movies like it follows or horror movies where you can really tie them to a metaphor fairly well Um, This movie, in my mind, ties fairly well to uh, ideas of substance abuse, uh, teenage experimentation with substances, uh, Mm. those kind of things. And basically this embalmed uh, arm slash hand that grants access to the afterlife uh, in uh, in my mind, I think is very clearly, uh, you know, a stand in for heavier drugs like heroin, maybe cocaine, like those kind of things. Um, And it could even just be, you know, alcohol abuse or whatever. But the metaphor is really strong, so that's going to appeal to me. Uh, It's really well shot, and the the tension is really well done. It has some typical horror movie trope stuff. There's some jump scares. There's some, you know, stuff you're expecting to see in horror movies, some uh, disturbing visuals, those kind of things. Um, but it has a lot of really interesting things to say, including an ending, which I'm not going to spoil clearly, but including an ending that is, I think, really bold and uh, willing to take its metaphor to uh, its final place. So um, I, I really enjoy Talk to Me and uh, wanted to throw my my voice behind it as much as I usually don't enjoy horror movies. So this was one mm. that uh, Unless that I they're did. made by M. Night Shyamalan. Those those aren't horror movies. I don't think. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to be the, genre police, but the one you know, with the old people in the cabin was kind of horror. 
the, uh, the old people in the cabin? Yes. Yeah. The vi- uh, visitation? Visit? Vis- visitation? No, the, grand- the uh, grandparents in underwear. What's it called? Um, that was, that was I think, classified as horror. But yeah, his movies yeah. are more like thrillery. Uh, yeah. 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 True. Um, all right. Interesting. I uh, have heard of this movie. And I have the last five or ten years been growing my appreciation of horror. And so I will add this to the pile. I should put a sound effect in my board for like, <laughs> like throwing a movie on Jeremy's a pile. growing pile of things he needs to watch. Um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, one of my small recommends this week is a food product. Uh, I can't stay away from recommending food and beverage products to you. Uh, in New York City, there's a restaurant. That's existed since 1896. It's called Rao's, and it's an Italian-American restaurant uh, started by a man named Joshua Anthony Rao. Um, You can't get a reservation here. They don't do that. Uh, You can't walk in off the street here. They don't do that. Um, You have to be mega famous or know someone. That's the only way to eat at this restaurant, which, A, is fascinating in and of itself. I would love to see a reality show of, about working in this exclusive restaurant. It's considered the hardest table to get in New York City. Uh, but uh, some years ago, they started selling frozen products uh, in your local supermarket. And I, we tried some, my wife and I, and there was like a penne with sausage, and it was good. It was above average for, you know, frozen Italian food. Now, I'm a connoisseur of frozen pizza. Uh, I think there is definitely a time and place for a frozen pizza in your life. And Mm -hmm. uh, Rouse is now selling frozen pizzas. I hadn't noticed them until a week ago. I bought one. And damn it, it's one of the finest frozen pizzas I've ever had in my life. (laughs) Uh, The crust was crispy on the outside, but actually like soft on the inside. Uh, The flavors were bold and strong. And I... I'm absolutely going to buy more Rouse frozen pizzas. So there you go. You you can't get into this restaurant. I can't get into this restaurant. There's no way I'm ever going to eat this food other than frozen from my grocery store freezer aisle. And this is about as good a frozen pizza as you're going to find. There you go. Stamp of approval. Bam. Yeah, I've been to Rouse a couple times. Uh, I turned down my last invite, but uh, course, but <laughs> they do have the, they do have. It looks like Wikipedia says they have a, a Vegas. Um, location. Oh, that okay. Does bocce? It's like a bocce bar. Uh, I don't know what kind of food they have there. It looks more like bocce and cocktails. But there is a mm. browse in Vegas. I know you sometimes have been to Vegas. You might want to yeah. check. No, I I've never heard of this. Um, you know, looking at the images of the pizzas, it looks like their uh, crust to you know sauce ratio is a little lower than most pizzas. A lot of crust on the edges. I mm-hmm. find that. Uh, to be, especially if the crust is good, to be a good thing. I agree. Sometimes I feel like pizzas put the sauce too close to the edges and you don't have a lot of uh, crust to snack on uh, at the end of your piece. My wife doesn't even eat crust, and it just baffles me. It just yeah. baffles me. It's like having a built-in breadstick, man. Like, it's it's just, it's, it can be really especially good Especially if you get pizza at some of these places, which is most of them now, that'll give mm-hmm. you crust flavorings. Like, right. Jets Pizza. I don't know if you have that where you're at, but it's uh, Detroit style. But they are mm-hmm. they have uh, six different crust toppings, or you can just get them all. It's like garlic, sesame seeds. Yep. Uh, yeah, that amazing. was something that the first pizza place I knew that did that is my favorite pizza place of all time, uh, Hungry Howie's. Uh, there isn't one here in Missouri, so it's uh, frustrating. But they're all over 
Michigan and some different places. But Hungry Howie's was the first pizza place. It was like, oh, yeah, you got to get like the the buttered cheese crust or the garlic mm. pepper crust or, mm. you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, I dig a good flavored crust uh, or a good stuffed crust even. Like put some mozzarella in there. That's fun, too. Yeah, that's so. never going to hurt anybody. <laughs> Uh, all right, ready for my second recommends? Okay. Uh, doing two movies uh, this week because I also got a chance to finally see Theater Camp. Oh, wow. Uh, this is one of the best movies I've seen this year. Um, now, a lot of this has to do for my nostalgia for the topic. Uh, I was a theater kid. In fifth grade, I tried out for the community production of Huck Finn, landed the role of Huck Finn, and I never looked back. Like, theater was something that was with me, you know, throughout even college. Jeremy, you and I were in a theater production uh, together yes, in college. Uh, so I know these human beings, and they are my people. Uh, and this, this movie gets so everything so right about the precociousness of what it means to be a theater kid about the uh elevated sense of artistry that comes with you know uh being a performer and those kind of things it also gets the nuance of what makes uh theater stage theater so powerful so interesting this movie is hilarious i laughed a lot and i actually was bawling at some things that happened at the end. It moved me in some really deep wow. ways. And I was not expecting that. Um, but there is, this has a denouement that I think is among the best uh, I've seen in a while, where it's a callback to something that is hilarious. And at the same time, it just works. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm trying not to get detailed, but love the ending of this movie, loved this entire movie. Huge, huge recommend. I think if you've never done theater, if you've never been involved in drama or whatever, I still think you can have a really good time with this movie. But if you have, I think it'll be euphoric. At least it was for me. So I was in a play production all four years of college, um, every single year. And I never went to theater camp, but I went to camp. I went mm -hmm. to church camp a lot. And I think those two things are probably going to make this right up my alley. Yes. And I love... Uh, the gal from the bear whose name I'm intimidated to pronounce. Io. It's Io. Yeah, Io. it's Io. Um, so I love her, so I'm excited. To, I want to see Bottoms that she's also in. Um, that has also gotten good reviews. So yeah, this is. There's uh, there are two members of the bear cast uh, in theater camp. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think uh, what her name is. Molly Gordon. Uh, oh, plays the love interest from the season love interest. Two. Yeah, she's kind of the her and uh, Ben Platt kind of play the main central characters. Okay, um, and Ben Platt is so great she's, in this. Um, ever since that season two of The Bear, I've noticed her everywhere. Like mm -hmm. I, we went back and did uh, Booksmart. She's in that, and uh, just a bunch of places that she's shown up. So yeah, yeah, Claire yep. Bear. Yeah, Claire Bear. Chat. Thank you for chiming in there. We appreciate the the reference. Nice. Um, my second recommend is a movie because I can't stray too far from the light. Uh, and this is a movie I've seen many, many times, but recently watched again last week. Uh, it's Dances with Wolves, um, Kevin Costner's directorial debut. And I will start at the outset and say there are some, there's a little bit of problematic nature to the plot of this film in that it is pretty much a white savior uh, coming from the East and saving the Native Americans. Um, so that being acknowledged, there are also 
some Native Americans that did not, particularly uh, the Pawnee, who are in the movie portrayed as fairly bloodthirsty. And in real life, they felt like it was the Lakota who had savaged them. So this is not a historical document uh, of any kind. It is a fictional story uh, about a broken, broken man who was sent to a barren outpost in the Midwest, um, basically to die, um, and ends up uh, befriending a nearby uh, Native American tribe um, through the course of ups and downs. Uh, I don't know how much credit of this movie I'm ready to give Kevin Costner, and I love Kevin Costner, please don't take that the wrong way, but the cinematographer is doing so much heavy lifting here that I mean, it, the movie is just beautiful. Like seeing it in HD versus the first many times I saw it is it's jaw dropping how gorgeous this movie is. Uh, and then a lot of the native actors like Graham Greene uh, and then another white actor, uh, Mary McDonnell, uh, I think are doing the acting heavy lifting, although Costner is good in this. There are two parts of this movie that break me. I'm going to go ahead and tell you to Google, does the dog die? Um, um, because there's an animal that he befriends that, um, just Google that. Um, (laughs) and then, uh, at the end when, you know, he has the shouting exchange with the, the guy that had had been sort of antagonistic to him from the beginning and now is his friend. Uh, and it just breaks me, uh, because they're being separated probably forever. And he's yelling, you always be my friend. Uh, I'm getting chills just now thinking about it. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, if you've never seen it, it's on Pluto and Tubi for free right now with ads. It's on the Roku channel for free, and it's on Amazon Prime Video if you have a subscription. Um, and it's just really, really, really good. There you go. It has been a long time since I've seen this movie. I owe it a revisit, I'm sure. Um, but I, you know, my my primary memory of seeing this movie is that my mom rented it on VHS for all of us on vacation. And the scene with Costner's butt uh, came <laughs> on. And my the, the story around the family is, you know, my mom's immediate reaction is, oh, I don't remember this. I didn't know this was in here. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I do have a guy in the chat, Josh Zero, saying, yeah, but Jeremy, this movie is 7.75 hours long. Yeah, it is long. Um, it is not a short film. It is three hours and one minute, uh, exactly. And you'll, you'll feel some of that, but uh, I still think you'll appreciate it. I lament the, the days of the 90 to 105-minute movie being kind of the, the standard. Everything seems to want to hit two hours now. But I got to say, length doesn't bother me if it's a good movie. Like, if it's something I'm enjoying, like, especially if I'm watching at home, I can pause and go to the bathroom if I need to. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't mind movies being longer. I mean, I don't either. We had this chat on Slack recently, the, the group of us. Just give me an intermission. Like, if you're going to go, if you're going to hit 245 or up, just give me a five, 10 minute bathroom break. I, yep. I can't sit in one place for three hours. <laughs> I mean, it's just human nature. The more I age, it's only going to get worse. I'll be asking for two intermissions. But um, <laughs> yeah, what's it, it is frightening to me how many three-hour movies we've gotten in the last two or three years, and we're going to mm-hmm. continue to get. Scorsese's next movie is going to be over three hours, uh, but apparently three and a half. That's like his new standard. His last his last two movies are just yeah, and three so and a half hour movies. It's where we're at. Just give me just give me an intermission or 
you know, the thing I love about streaming or at least waiting for most movies to be purchasable at home is that I can hit the pause button. I'm in control mm -hmm. of my own intermission and your three hour movie will not intimidate me. And it's true. That is true. Um, all right. We're ready for this week's a big a recommend. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. Uh, am I saying his last name right? Derek Delgadio? Yeah, I think itself? that's correct. All right. Yeah. Aaron, take us away. Derek Delgadio's in and of itself is, uh, it is a movie. It is a movie of a stage show. Um, it is directed by Frank Oz. This was a stage show done by Derek Delgadio in New York City for, I believe the text said 552 performances yeah, that's wild. Uh, of this show in New York City. Um, and this is a hard one to kind of uh do a plot take so i'm just going to kind of give the the structural foundation of the movie and then i think we can have a discussion on whatever parts uh you know we want to talk about but basically we are introduced uh through narration to derek delgadio uh who is talking about identity what you know how do you define yourself what does it mean to be you and this entire show will deal with that theme in many and various ways about who, how are you defined? Who gets to define you? What do they know? All of those kind of things. Uh, we are introduced to a story about a roulettista. This is a story he's told by somebody at a bar uh, about a person who just survives the game of Russian roulette so many times that they get the nickname the roulettista and eventually adds more and more bullets to gun, always survives, and then eventually decides to retire and uh, has a home invasion and is shot dead uh, by somebody who is invading the home. The irony there of you know surviving all the Russian roulette, but somebody who doesn't know who they are, again, going back to identity, being the one that pulls the trigger that actually does them in. Uh, this person tells Derek that he is the roulettista, and then we get to see Derek wrestle with this through uh, six vignettes. Um, well, technically five plus the roulettista. And those are represented uh, gun chamber style on the back wall with six different squares. And he goes through them. Uh, one deals with the bottle. That's the first one. He does a magic, trip, uh, magic trick involving uh, putting this ship that he folded this piece of paper into this bottle of alcohol um, he does that trick uh, the second one deals with the ship's log this idea that you know mariners had to uh, write down for other people what they saw or they wouldn't be able to get where they were going and with this in mind he picks somebody from the audience who he's going to call mr or mrs tomorrow and at some point in the show is going to send them home before it's over so that they can come back the next day and read their version of how they think it was going uh to end um and also introdu in introduces us to mr or mrs yesterday who is at the show you know today uh that will uh, be doing that uh, so that's the ship's log and we see a little bit more of the ship, uh, of this, you know, page and 
how that's working. Um, then we go to the time between dog and wolf is the next section. Uh, this is a story of how when the sun goes down, if you're looking into the sun, you can't really tell what's between you in the sun. Uh, and so it could be a dog, it could be a wolf, it could be you know a predator to kill you, it could be a friend who is going to support you, but you just can't tell during the time between dog and wolf. Um, and then that section ends with uh, one of my favorite lines of the show, which there are so many, so many deep quotes of this show that I've taken with me, but I love this one. Uh, because of how um, deep it feels to me. If you're willing to turn your back on the sun, everything else is illuminated, which is a really interesting way to view the idea of when you're dealing with, oh, is that a dog or a wolf? If you turn, you become, am I the dog or the wolf? And you see everything clearly. And that's kind of uh, where he goes with. But now the it, wolf is behind you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Uh, that leads into a story called the, that I, I'm calling the brick. By the way, he doesn't name these. I'm, I'm naming these for my own, you know, uh, understanding. But this deals with a brick that is in a, uh, a glass wall. He tells a story about secrets and the secret in his case was that his mom was gay he found that out at a young age and found out very quickly that for other people that would ostracize him that they would not play with him not be his friend not if they knew so he held on to this secret he tells the story of people in the city finding out and throwing a brick through their window as he has a brick through a window behind him it's a really interesting thing then he pulls the brick and he says this is just a brick we painted it gold, we brought it here, but it's so much more to you because you know the story, right? He's, so he says um, that, you know, uh, I think I can help you to see this as just a brick. Does another magic trick involving building a house of cards around this brick. Brick disappears. It will uh, apparently appear on a street corner in New York City and the people just walking by won't see anything meaningful in that brick. It'll just be a brick by a light post. Um, and so that's that story. We then go into the story of the blind men and the elephant, which is a very famous story. Most people have probably already heard this story, the idea of the six blind men who encounter different parts of the element, uh, elephant and have very different ideas about what it is. He spins this story on, his, on its head by saying, have you ever thought about how the elephant feels about this? How does the elephant feel about being defined by other people trying to figure them out? Um, and so at that point, after that story is when Mr. or Mrs. Tomorrow leaves. They're left to try to figure out what happens for the rest of the show. Another one of my favorite lines is said, uh, everything in this book is accurate to everything that happened here, even though it contains things both real and imagined. So the accuracy is not dependent on whether things are real or false, which is another theme he's presented throughout this idea, even in his narration to us. The final act is I'm calling the scale. He places uh, all of these I am cards, which I haven't really mentioned in the plot rundown yet, but there's a whole wall of these cards that say, I am such and such, I am a such and such, I am a philosopher, I am a teacher, I am a mother, I am, and each of the audience members is asked to select one of those cards uh, before they go in. And he has the entire stack of those cards, places them on the scale, and then just has the part that says, I am, places it on the other side, and somehow it balances all of that out. He then goes into the audience and asks them, who of you chose definitions for yourself that are meaningful to you? Some of you probably did jokes. I understand that. That's great. But who, you know, stand up if you did a, something that's meaningful to you. People in the crowd stand, and one by one, through some sort of memory, he identifies 
who they are and what cards that they chose. Um, you can see the the uh, the meaning on this uh, in their um, in their eyes as he reflects back to them their own self perception uh, in that way. Um, the uh, the show ends with the uh, the declaration that he is the Rulatista uh, after he names everybody else and because that's how the guy saw him and then that's how he started to see himself. And as he uh, pulls the final trigger on the loaded gun, uh, it clicks again. But all of the images of who he is that have been in the background as three-dimensional actual windows into all these objects fall out, fall off the wall as pieces of paper. And there is just one window left. Uh, somehow that has changed. Um, there's one element of the show I have not mentioned yet as I went through them. Um, and I don't know if that's because I... Uh, forgot to label them. Oh, I know, I know what it is. It's in the blind man and the elephant. Probably the most powerful part of the show for me is he does a, uh, I'm going to say a trick because this is a magic show in many ways, involving a person reading a letter from somebody important uh, through their life. And I, I have never wept so much <laughs> just watching someone read a letter. They're not even, I mean, they do eventually read them out loud, but for the first part, you're just watching them absorb how somebody important to them defines them, sees them, gives them value, knows them well. Um, and that, uh, he is saying, is more important than the blind men trying to figure out what the elephant is, is somebody who actually... Uh, knows you, loves you, cares about you, how they define you and how they see you. Um, so there you go. That is uh, Derek Delgadio's uh, in and of itself as best as I can sum it up in the uh, the different sections. Uh, I'm going to hand it over to you, Jeremy. I have never been more uh, unaware of how you might feel about something. You <laughs> like there is a very real possibility that you may hate this. You may love this. You may fall somewhere in between, but I have never been more excited uh, to have a conversation with you. How did you feel about Derek Delgadio's in and of itself? Um, this thing had me for the first two thirds. Um, I love the mix of comedy, magic, dramatic beats, the imagery of the, the cubbies on the wall, the chambers, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and the telling of his personal stories, specifically the brick section. There's a line in there where he's talking about before his friend can come in, I have to go in and scurry around and hide evidence of who I wasn't. And then mm -hmm. say, hiding all the evidence of my mother's pride. Mm. And that socked me in the gut. Yeah. Um, it really, really did. When we get to the letters and then the naming everybody's card, he loses me, man. Um, I get why the people there are experiencing what they are. And I think you are better able to connect to, if I were there, this is how I would feel. Whereas there's so much magic in this show. And it's, it's so impressive. The sleight of hand is wild. That scene where he's telling the story about the, the four kings and then, oh, look, they're not in order, and he puts them in order, and then he reali you realize he's actually put all the other ones in order, too, just by yeah. shuffling while Before you he turns him. him over, he says, I've still got a little wolf in me or, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah, and then the brick thing 
I'm pretty sure that's the trick. There's a there's a trick in this show that Penn Jillette said completely fooled him, and I'm pretty sure it's that gold brick trick where he builds the cards up around mm-hmm. them. Um, I have some some ideas on how it might have been done, but it was jaw dropping when he gets to the letters. It felt manipulative to me because. First of all, I'm pretty sure he calls out a card thing, like who chose to be, who said that they are a teacher tonight or what have you. Right. And it's that person who comes down and he's like, oh, I have a letter for you. So, I mean, first of all, there's no magic here for me. It's clear no. and obvious what he's done. He's, he's taken somebody he knows has bought a ticket. He's gone to their loved ones. He's asked them to write a letter, but he's probably also asked them to write a really flowery, nice yeah. letter. Well, There's he's nobody probably that was going to stand on that stage and read a letter that said, I hate you. Why am I no, writing no, no. this he's letter to you? He's probably prompted them with – he's probably even gone further than that. He's probably prompted them with um, to, uh, make this letter about how you see them, you know, wh- how how you right. envision them, who right. they are, you know, like he – you know, to, to fit the I- identity thing. So that know? to me feels – how do I say this? The first two-thirds of the show feel like something – only he could ever have done it could only have come from his mind Mm -hmm. when it gets to the letters i feel like anybody could have come up with we're going to pull a person on stage and have them read a letter from their mom that talks about how nice they are and then they're going to cry and then we got them um so that that is where i started to detach a bit and then when he's walking up the stairs telling everybody what their thing is it felt like crossing over to me and not like like it felt crossing like, from what to what no the show crossing over where the guy talks to your dead relatives in heaven and is just playing mind trick because he's a mentalist and and, and i am not convinced it was memory although memory is certainly one of the ways you could do that, that oh trick. yeah i shouldn't have, i shouldn't have thrown that i have no i like i i don't have any backing on uh, no I, I mean no listen i i think it it could be memory but I also think it could be as simple as a tiny hidden earpiece because there's video taken of all those people choosing yeah, their cards. Yeah. And so I was much less impressed with the magic of those moments that there at the end between the letters and the, the naming. So the, it, it became hard for me to react emotionally to it or live in that moment, uh, which is not to say that I think it's bad. Um, I thought it was holding more power at, Listen, I get why he does this, but I I was much more into it when it was about him and he was telling me his stories. I get that the whole thing is about identity and he has to flip it around on the audience. And even the showing me of a two dozen different people who were the tomorrow people reading their letters or, or reading, reading mm-hmm. the book or, or what have you, showing me all these different identities, which is important thematically, actually was rough for me in terms of suspending any disbelief because it was just reminding me that this has been done 500 times over and over and over again. And so it became a less of a personal experience for me in that moment. Um, I have lots of notes and I have lots we can discuss. I think the dude is brilliant and I think the show is brilliant. I just, I couldn't attach emotionally. I think I get it. I think I get it. And, and I will, I will say this is the primary reason I almost never mention it being a magic show until 
the end. It's like the last thing I say. Like I, I would call it a stage show. I'd call it a one man show. I'd, you know, I'd call it a movie. I'd, you know, whatever. The magic is just kind of his art. It's how he's been trained or whatever. I don't know that, you know, when you start to speak of it in terms of, uh, well, I knew how this was done, so it was manipulation, or I knew how, you know, these these things anybody could have done or whatever. I think you start to get into the point of the show, which is that he is saying he's presenting himself as the Rulatista going, you can walk away from this going, oh, I know how that was done. Oh, I know that was fake. Oh, you're not as good as you think you are, you know, and he has to stand in a darkened theater and let people define him every night. You know what I mean? Like there's this, this <sighs> idea of in the defining in what we're doing, whether we like it or don't like it, we are proving his point, right? We are saying this is, you know, this is how we define you, how we define what you did, uh, you know, all those kind of things. Um, and for me, it becomes more personal the more it gets away from a magic trick. It becomes more interesting to me, more thoughtful Certainly. to me. Telling um, the story about his mom with the brick mm -hmm. was as engrossed as I've been in anything I've watched in months. I mean... He doesn't even need to do the trick at the end where he makes the brick disappear, though thematically, I think it's very important um, mm -hmm. to show us. But yeah, that's not a magic trick. That's just him telling a story about his life. And that was the most powerful moment of the whole thing for me. Yeah. Well, so, let me talk a little bit about the letters and why it's the most powerful moment for me. Sure, because course. I think the, you know, the the prestige there, the reveal there is, you know, this idea that the person who is experiencing this the the setup is what nails it for me where he's like he says we're going to there are two things that are about to happen one only you're going to see and one we're going to see and this is i think what he's getting at with the metaphorical part or the thematic part i should say of this thing is the letter is going to transform into something from somebody you love you're going to see that what we're going to see is you transform based on what you're reading and the whole point is that when you see somebody through the light of the people that love them the most they become something different they don't become just the parts that we see they become the the whole of the people who are intimately involved with them and that i don't know there's something really meaningful about that because we all struggle with being defined by especially if you're at all in the public at all like there's this idea of like oh i guess i am who you think i am and then just to be able to you know to look and go why why do i check comments why do i check social media why don't i just look to my wife or my children and and say you know this is how i see you and then say this is how i see you. like that's the important stuff right so that section of identity there is so meaningful to me to watch these people on stage transform from how they see themselves to how somebody else who loves them sees them i don't know i just found it really really powerful no um, i mean listen we're just a couple feet apart it just so happens that the mm -hmm. line is right between us. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I could tell you we were getting a little emotional there, and sure, I love sure. that movies can do this to us. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we both allow movies to do this to us. And there was certainly a lot of this that reminded me 
of Roma in terms of the themes, in terms of what you're talking about. And we don't see other people. We, we see them through our own journeys lens. We don't see them through a lens of somebody who loves them or even their own journeys lens. Um, we don't know what that person is going through. Um, and I get it. I get it. Um, you know, and, and had I not felt like, had I not felt the way I did going into that segment, I might've been able to like, I'm trying to phrase this very carefully when saying that I was not able to attach to it emotionally, because I do think that is an incredibly powerful moment for 90% of the people who watch this. Uh, well, and if and you were in the theater, or especially if you were one of the people on stage reading the letter, this is probably a top 10 moment of your entire life. I absolutely get it. Um, but I wonder if the magic ultimately doesn't hurt the message for me. Um, because well, and that's and that's I, I just saw somebody in the comments. I, I won't uh, call by name, but um, says if it's based on a trick, then it's still false and therefore bad. I that the, there is no trick here. We all know how this is done. Like the you know, and it's not false. There's nothing false here. It's real. Those words are real, and that emotion is real. Like that does not mean it was not manipulated. So, right? so wait, so sure, but aren't, don't all, like, aren't all stories quote unquote manipulative when you tell them? Like, I don't, like, I don't understand how, like manipulation of course has a, a bad connotation to it, but we all manipulate the things around us, the stories around us, the things we say, like, you know what I mean? Like if no, it, I'm like any about, emotion you've ever felt watching a movie, I'm talking you about were being manipulated. Where I'm saying anybody could have said, we're going to bring this lady up on stage and she's going to read a letter from her dad who mm -hmm. ultimately is going to have Alzheimer's and it's going to bring down the house. That is what I'm talking about. And, and I also... And you think that's a bad thing for, to, for that story to be told, for that experience to be had because it was... They don't have a choice. They're called down on stage. They don't even know what's happening. <laughs> they don't get to actively participate in this moment. They are put on the spot. That's what bugs me about it. That's what feels manipulative about it. If, if, if he had said, okay, anger, come on down. I talked to you before the show. Here's that letter I mentioned. I don't know if I have as much of a problem with it, but they have no agency in this decision. And when you're on the stage and there's 300 people staring at you and it's pin drop silent, what else are you going to do? Mm -hmm. You're going to read yeah. the letter and it's going to make you cry. And so now you are an instrument being played and not an active participant in the thing. I think like, it's I think it's much muddier than that. I think it's much more nuanced than that. I don't think I I don't think there is the ability to I think what what's happening here, and I, and I think you've even mentioned it, is uh, we have this predisposition against uh, the let's just say the televangelist idea, right? Like the idea that he's got an earpiece, he's going to call out like God's telling them, he you know he knows what's wrong with them, and then he's going to say things about them or the psychic or the televangelist or whoever who's cheating or whatever. I 
This is a, this is a situation where he has said from the very beginning, am I a dog or am I a wolf? Like what's real, what's not, does it matter? In fact, this whole conversation we're having goes back to that thing with the book, right? Where it's like part of this is fake, part of this is real, but ultimately does it matter? Like the experience you're having, the the thoughts you're having, I get the agency part. And I think I think there's validity in what you're saying about the agency. And I don't know what happens if somebody comes up, reads the letter. It's it appears as if he gives them the choice if they want to share anything out loud or not. And I don't know if there were nights where somebody was like, I will just take this, you know, with me, that kind of thing. Um, and at a magic show, the volunteer thing, how does the agency work? Um so yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. There is kind of a contract when you walk into a room like that, knowing that there's a show that, that you're no, part of it, but not. there's no contract <laughs> that you're going to end up on stage reading a letter from your Alzheimer's dad. Um, I, I was much more upset about this movie after watching it last night than I am now. Uh, I'm able to appreciate what it is uh, to you and to other people, uh, even though, well, there was even one point where he called somebody out uh, and they didn't answer. Um, and like, that's always an option too. Like, you know, there's, I don't well, know. I don't see anybody forcing anybody chose, to do anything. The card they chose was like hyper negative. It was, nobody wanted to admit to that. Oh, publicly. it was the idiot. Yeah, yeah. The idiot card or whatever. Yeah. And then he, and then he goes, that tracks, which is kind of, anyway, um, let me, let me, let me talk about some of the things that I really, really enjoyed. Um, the, the sleight of hand stuff, um, whether or not you believe it improves the stories is pretty dope. Um, because I thought he was done doing tricks mm -hmm. and was just telling a story and mindlessly shuffling the cards while he did it. I even said to myself, I wonder if that's like a tick where if he's got cards in his hands, cause he's done all this practice, he just can't help but shuffle. But no, dude was putting every card in its place without being able to look at them. Like, that trick alone is worth the price of admission for me. Um, then you add the gold brick trick, and I'm I'm sold on, on the, the, the magic aspect of, of this show. I love watching the big book because there are... There are scenes where, it, like, by the end of his run, that thing is bedazzled by, like, sequins, all, like, blue and purple sequins <laughs> all on the outside. But then oh, there's one guy that just that, that did post-it notes on everybody else's stuff. Yes. <laughs> this guy just ripped on everybody else's thing. Um, yeah, I wrote The Brick Disappearance. How the fuck did he do that? It has to be a collapsible, a collapsible brick with a very thin trapdoor chamber thing under the table. Um, and then I'm not super impressed by the brick ending up on the street corner that the two people named the intersection because no. no, the PA easy. is just yeah. running out to do that. Um, I'm not sure about the visuals uh, that are added for this movie version. Like the when he's talking about uh, the card game, there's some black and white visuals of mm -hmm. sure. demon looking eyes. And I don't know that that actually is helping the film. I don't think it hurts, but it felt distracting to me. Um, that made more sense with, with the elephant story because it felt like we needed a visual there. Um, but again, that's just um, the, like the narration stuff. I don't think that's in the stage show. That was just for our benefit as a, as a film viewer. Um, but I, I, I didn't, I wasn't bothered by that. Mm -hmm. um, I loved 
love, 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 love him taking the I am card, putting it on the opposite scale where there's dozens stacked up and mm-hmm. it levels the scale. That was a beautiful piece of imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty mind boggled about how he did the thing where all of the chambers turn into posters. Uh, and it could be as simple as misdirection like he's got it's probably misdirection yeah these letter readings over on the far Mm -hmm. side of the stage or we're all paying attention to him seven rows up it's it's probably all happening while he's going through the crowd you know saying you are you know the poet you are the you know whatever like that's probably because at that point when he gets you know a few rows back everybody's you know turned and watching him at the at the back so there's probably some misdirection there um again the, the magic part of it has never been the point for me. So like all, all that stuff just seems like my favorite thing about the, the card manipulation is that most times you see close up card ma- manipulation. It's just real. They've just really trained to do that stuff. Like where he pulls 17 cards off. He just knows what 17 cards feels yeah, like. He goes, That's 16. Like he just knew. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, the weight, so. I, I'm, I have no doubt that he just knew. That was some of the most fascinating stuff to me because to, in order to be that good, you have to do what he did. You have to practice mm-hmm. constantly. Right. Um, I also wanted to mention the imagery you, you mentioned uh, of where he talks about turning your back to the sun and everything mm-hmm. becomes illuminated. Um, you know who knows that? Golfers. You go out <laughs> on a golf course and you're looking for your ball in the rough. You will always turn your back to the sun and look at where you think the ball is because otherwise you can't see it. Um, but I thought that was a, a very poetic uh moment in the show. Um, so yeah, I think that's yeah. all my notes. Ah, <clears throat> uh, well, I have lots of stuff I could talk about. You can um, keep, keep I, going. <laughs> I, I will say. I will say a few things that are more general. Um, One, I love his style. I think there's something about the way that he communicates that is really compelling. He has a, it's not your typical get on stage, wave your arms around, you know, be the center of attention. He will hold very distinct pauses um, in a way that that I don't see a lot of uh, performers master. Um, That's because I, he knows he's got them. He's got right. the entire audience right yes. in that moment. Yes. I love those cuts to the audience where you can see they know they don't know how to react, but they know they should stay quiet right now. It's yeah, all- <clears throat> yeah. He's so measured, and you get a sense that everything is written perfectly. You know, for him to be able to you know transition and uh, you know own the audience, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the one note I had about the letter thing is I really hope uh, a PA or somebody after the show gives them the rest of the letters. <laughs> like I can't shake it from my mind that they ha- they have letters from all these different people in their life. And I just, I hope somebody's like, here are the rest of the letters, read them on your own time, you know, and, or, or whatever. Cause that would be, uh, that would be sad to me if, if all those wonderful letters. Uh, Don't you think there it. was just one letter per nope. show? No, I think he literally had uh, that was a free choice. That was a free choice of letter. Like you'll you'll watch him hand him the whole stack. They will pick the one they want. There's no force going on there or anything. I literally think he had a dozen people in their life that fit the different categories write them a letter. Um and so I'm, I mean maybe I'm wrong. Look, I could be wrong, but I just I, mean, I, I hope they get the rest of the letters. I feel like his mentalism and magic skills are good enough that he could get you to take the, the letter he wants you to take. 
it's like I've seen people do I, that magic tricks all the time. Sure, sure. But but there's always a for, like you can always feel you can always see the force. He literally hands them a stack of letters. They go through them, keep the one they want, and hand the rest back. There I choose is no to believe force. he knows which one they're going to choose. I choose to believe. I think that. that's impo- that's true magic. If that's the case, it, like when you if you watch this again, that's insane psychic stuff. How about if this? he manages to do the that, the same letter is in every single envelope. No, because the, it's written on the letter: father, mother, friend. You know. Um, all right wife <laughs> husband yeah they're like they have it's like written on the back of the envelope all right uh, who they are so i'm right almost then. sure That's he a had lot several... of un, unused letters and people like if i was somebody who had written a letter for somebody and it didn't get used i'd be pissed I'd be <laughs> That's like, what I'm saying. that's awful. what my note was that's what my note was i hope they get the rest of the letters but again that was me assuming i i knew how the quote-unquote trick was done um but uh but yeah you, if there's... you may be right you're probably right but i hmm <laughs> I've seen I've seen far too much magic. I I understand. I'm just telling you that you watch it. Like when you watch it with this in mind, there is no way to force that choice. To this movie anytime soon. <laughs> um, so funny. This is my uh, sixth time watching this movie. I cry at two points every single time. Um, and uh, it's it's just it just it's very meaningful uh, to me. I, I I would never want to take away from that. No, of course not. Um, some interesting uh, trivia stuff we do see, and not a big deal is made of it. It's a bit bigger deal is made for some other than others, but we see like Bill Gates, uh, who chose I Am uh, a Leader. Uh, we see David Blaine uh, at one point. He calls him uh, my brother uh, before he sits down. Um, Larry Wilmore, uh, we see Tim Gunn. Uh, calls him a good Samaritan and Tim, you know, Tim starts crying. Um, I also noticed uh, Susan Sarandon and Kate McKinnon in the audience uh, during a couple of these. So it's interesting to kind of look around and see some of the people, you know, from other stuff, just go into this, you know, show and having a good time. Um, In the credits, it says no elephants, dogs or wolves were harmed during the making of this film. Uh, I thought that was funny. Uh, And then it said special thanks to the authors of the book of tomorrow's yesterday, which I thought was a a really fun uh, way to say that. Um, the woman he whispers to in that scene of like telling people who they are is apparently a legendary performance artist. I didn't know that uh, by watching. I read that afterwards. Uh, Marina Abra, uh, Abramovic, uh, I believe is her name. And so uh, he whispered to her. One of my favorite quotes in this kind of applies to the long conversation we had. So I'll bring it back here and maybe we can kind of finish up here. But when he's telling the story of the Rulatista, he says he drops several things in that beginning story. And again, this is because I've watched it multiple times that I think apply to everything we see and also even the discussion we just had. And one of those things is he gets to like the adding the third bullet, adding the fourth bullet, and he throws away this line and says, at this point, nobody even cared if he was cheating. And it is that where I find myself in the division between us probably is you care if he was cheating (laughs) and I don't, I don't care if he was cheating because I think the reality of the emotion is real and the manipulation part of it is, um, is a trick. Uh, so it's, I think that's really interesting how self-aware this show seems at ways. There's also times where he says, you know, you at the end will decide if it matters what is real and what is not. Um, 
but because uh, because you will be doubting everything I do, that makes the reality more powerful or something along those lines. Um, and the way that the movie plays with its own veracity is really interesting to me as well, which again separates it for me from a you know a huckster or a sham artist or somebody like that who's really trying to pretend that this is all real um, in that way. So yeah, good stuff. That's where I think I can end it. I think so. Um, well, you, this is the single most challenging super secret double feature <laughs> of all time. Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. Only two options. I go with another film stage show, which many people have suggested Bo Burnham and, or, I just I go back to movies and I try and stay thematically mm -hmm. in the sure. world of identity and how we see ourselves and how other people see us. A lot of great suggestions I've seen in the chat, um, including let me get back up. There's a lot of chatter today and I appreciate that. But I saw some earlier. Uh, I know I saw The Prestige was recommended. Um, Nightmare Alley is a good one. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels would be a fun one. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm going to tell you that I went with The Talent of Mr. Ripley, um, hmm. a movie where uh, Matt Damon's character does a lot uh, with his identity and who he sees himself as and who the world sees him as. Uh, and it completely changes constantly throughout the movie. And I think uh, thematically would be the opposite choice from what Derek makes at the end of his show choose to ignore those chambers those things that have defined him mm -hmm. um and you know damon's character embraces the darker edge of how to interpret that um so there you go it's not it's, a, it's no big secret how much i love the talent of mr ripley uh any excuse to watch it would work it's eventually going to be his big recommend on this show so there you go that's my super secret double feature great choice um, <clears throat> great choice love it and uh, it falls to me to pick something for next week's homework. I really wanted to give you a curveball by picking some kind of like music concert film or something. Just I loved you, it. Since you took us to this weird place. But instead, I'm going right back to movies. With The, the inspiration uh, for this pick is that I simply think most of you haven't seen this film. Uh, it's a 2006 film called The Hoax that stars Richard Gere and Alfred Molina. Uh, it is free on Pluto TV. Um, that would be with ads, uh, but uh, that is, I think, fair. Everybody will have a chance to watch this film. Uh, and it is about a guy, an author, whose first book uh, underperformed. And uh, I follow almost 40 people on Letterboxd, and nobody has seen or rated the hoax. There you go. <laughs> um, uh, it's about an author whose second-pitched book eventually is discarded by the publisher. We are not going to publish it. He goes on a trip to a resort with his friend, and then at two in the morning, they're kicked out of the... This is in the 70s, by the way. At two in the morning, they're kicked out of the resort because Howard Hughes has arrived, and he wants the entire resort for himself. Howard Hughes is notably eccentric, uh, germaphobe, uh, and uh, public shy, if you will. Um, <clears throat> and through the course of events that happen, uh, he decides to write a biography of Howard Hughes without ever having met or talked to the man at all. Uh, and the movie is basically about how he tries to pull that off. Uh, it's fairly fascinating. There's one scene that I think is 
incredible um and yeah nobody i know uh has really ever seen this it's an 86 87 on rotten tomatoes um so hopefully you will enjoy it it is billed as a comedy drama so hopefully it's not too heavy and uh i'm looking forward to seeing it again i haven't seen it in about four years um and uh i hope you guys like it. aaron is have you seen this film i have not seen this no yeah. no nope. so we're taking turns now you and i this is be the third in a row of a recommended movie that the other one has not ever seen um it's true and that's super fun for me because uh well you know i think both of us had higher hopes <laughs> on the last two <laughs> for the other one's recommendation but uh we're gonna get to one where it's recommended and the other one hasn't seen it and they both we both rave um, i i don't I, listen uh, my my hopes are always for an honest conversation in interesting dialogue and i, I think, think that was achieved that today i think that was certainly uh, achieved today um, um you see a wolf i see a dog you know it, it happens so slab says we better hear the story of your falconry weekend and the outtakes i'm sorry that didn't happen we ended up talking about <laughs> baseball um i'll try and remember for next week to tell aaron about my falconry experience so that you nice. can end up on the show um that's going to do it for episode 84 uh, next week's homework is The Hoax from 2006, starring Richard Gere for Aaron Dicer. This is Jeremy Scott. Thanks to the chat, as always. We'll see you next time. See you, guys. Be a part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the Cinemasins Discord at discord.gg slash cinemasins or Cinemasins Twitter at cinemasins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinemasins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at cinemasins.com. What up? What up, dog? What up, dog? What up, wolf? I'm glad your team is fun to watch. Oh my goodness. And they're all like just having a blast. And they were down by a run with two outs in the ninth inning. They were down by a run with two outs in the 10th inning, but they won in the 11th inning. Mm. And then last night they were down the entire game to Houston and Houston won the world series last year and they're playing in Houston. And in the ninth inning, we got a three run homer, take the lead and win the game. I, my wife hadn't been asleep. I would have been screaming. <laughs> I have woken my wife uh, with sports screaming before. Yeah, sports screaming. I love that. Um, just gave a, a name. So the the most latest time I can remember was uh, U of M basketball in March Madness. Mm. Uh, Jordan Poole, who now plays for the Golden State Warriors, um, was I think a freshman or maybe a sophomore at the time, really, you know, young kid or whatever. And he hit a buzzer beater to send them to the either the final four or the championship game. I can't remember, uh, which it was. Um, so this would have been, I don't know, uh, probably like 18, 19, somewhere in that range when this okay. happened. Um, and it was just. Like, I, like there was no, I, I did not control the thing, the, the noises I was making. They were just, you know, <laughs> when you're so invested in something that they just, they just happen. And it was so fun because you, you, everybody should watch a clip of this shot because not only is it a really fun buzzer beater, 
But the way he celebrates, like his entire team, of course, just like launches off the bench to like, you know, embrace him. You know how you see him tackle him to the floor and embrace him or whatever. And he just runs away from them, like the entire <laughs> length of the court and all the way around <laughs> back. He's like, you know, <laughs> it's just so like playing chase. Yeah, yeah. It was like they were playing chase or whatever. Uh, when I died uh, the first time and I was in the hospital, it was actually March Madness uh, championship weekend and they were in the championship game. And one of my first vague memories after coming out of the induced cold coma was watching the championship game with my dad and my brother. So um, why did you do that? Do what? So I feel like you have like this heart thing that puts you in the hospital uh -huh. and they induce a coma. <laughs> I feel like there's a physician's responsibility <laughs> to say you are not allowed to watch your favorite sports team in the championship game right now. We can we can send a rocket into space and land it back on Earth with precision, uh -huh. but we still don't know what's wrong with it. <laughs> there's so much stuff we still don't understand. The blood-brain barrier, like all these things. I just read an article the other day that they think they have found a way to keep the body from attacking itself. So like autoimmune diseases, like uh, type one diabetes and you know some other, that one's close to me because I have a son uh, who is diabetic, that they think they have found a way to cure those autoimmune uh, diseases by selectively telling the body um, what to ignore uh, as far as like the immune system. Because all those uh, diseases are is the immune system mistaking our own body for a uh you know a predator an attack of some yeah kind, yeah <clears throat> so yeah it's wild it is it's crazy i just hope we can maintain a culture of the importance of those studies in that work and that the slight bit of anti-educational bias that i see uh entering into culture won't uh keep us from continuing to really study and figure some stuff out so you're gonna be an optimist on that then <laughs> you know why not uh why wouldn't i be <laughs> i said hope i mean i hope i don't that doesn't mean it will be that way but i hope there's a glass and there's water in it <laughs> it's either half full or it's half empty it's either going in one direction or the other it's both um, it's both I tend to think it's half empty because if you just let it sit there and leave it alone, water level is going to go down. <laughs> We're sitting there chatting, you know, bedtime, 930 or so. And I went, oh, I haven't done my note watch of the movie for tomorrow. And so oh, no. I was like, oh, no. And so like I'm then I'm immediately in that like panic mode of, OK, what's my morning look like tomorrow morning? Do I have to, <laughs> do I have time to watch before the show? Uh, when do I have to get out for my morning run to be back in time to get a shower and then also watch this movie, take notes and, you know, be ready for the show. Uh, so this morning has just been uh, just kind of like in, in, you know, when you're trying to focus, watch something like and you only have a limited time, you know, right. the universe, God, whatever you want to say is going to present you with obstacles. Like it just, there's always going to be those things that pop up. And so like it, both of my sons at one point wanted to have conversations, you know, they're waking up and getting around or whatever. And I'm just like, I, you know, I really love you. And generally I would, <laughs> I would pause a movie to have this conversation with you, but I, I have to get through this uh, in the next hour or whatever.